welcome into another episode of Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I am your host, J.J. Jerez. With me, of course, Arif Dean. We're coming to you on the Thursday following Game 2, which was a very late game. I'm sure everybody is tired, not just us, but how are you doing, Arif? How are you recovering from last night? I went back and watched the video that we recorded last night, and yeah, we were kind of tired, and I'm still feeling it right now. It's been a hell of a week. It's been a grind. Uh, but, I mean, hey, the good news is the series will be done Sunday, so we don't really have to worry too much about it next week, right? <laughs> hey, I like that. I like that. I just want to remind everybody, and especially if there's any NHL schedulers listening to this podcast right now, that Colorado is not on the freaking West Coast. Like, give us... So cut us some slack yeah, here. 8.30 starts. Which What did it actually so, start? 8.45? 8.45, yeah. So this is what I'm really happy about the NHL going to two network providers and ESPN and Turner Sports is exactly that. So tomorrow's game being game three, Friday, when you guys are listening to this, is a 7.30 mountain, mountain time start. Great, right? No, because in St. Louis, it's 8.30 p.m. The latest that the NHL ever starts a game in any local market is 8.30 p.m. So 8.30 p.m. Eastern time, 6.30 here in Denver. 8.30 in Denver, 10.30 in Eastern time. So the St. Louis game versus the Avs, if the if the Blues were in the mountain time zone, tomorrow would be an 8.30 p.m. start. Why do they hate so us? So they're starting. Yeah, so they're doing that because they have one they have one network. It's NBC. They want one game to end, to end the next one to start, which never happens because one of them always drags on. And if there's overtime, it's even more. But... On top of that, that's why puck drop is 8.45. They purposely add more minutes to the board. Instead of a you know 8.30 start being an 8.37 puck drop, it's an 8.30 start being an 8.45 puck drop. So having Turner Sports and ESPN is going to fix that issue. And I'm really excited for that. And you noticed it last night, I think, in Ball Arena, right? You start the game, 8.45, the crowd was into it, the crowd was energized, they were loud. And then what, about halfway through, you suddenly saw people half ass half-heartedly waving their pom-poms like with one eye by open like, by like 9 45 10 p.m local you can literally see like alarm clocks for phones going <laughs> off like oh yeah it's still second period i'm i'm awake and then like someone would make a hit and you just hear some guy like like snore in the background like what what did i like everybody was exa- maybe that was just the press box i don't know i was really tired I had a big salmon dinner at the press box <laughs> yesterday at like 10 p.m. and it knocked me. I was ready for bed. Yeah, I don't. I was I don't so think, tired. I don't think it was everyone because uh, as I was leaving Ball Arena, uh, there was a quite. I wouldn't say a big group, but a group of Avalanche players. And you know, this was midnight, 12:30. Avalanche players just hanging out in the parking lot, like not in a rush to go home, just talking, chatting. It's like, man, I wish I could hear what they were talking about, but I'm surprised they're not tired and rushing home like I am. I was sprinting home, but they, um, they, yeah, they were they were laughing about everybody's favorite goaltender, Jordan Bennington. It's uh, it's not just the <laughs> NHL though; it's the NBA too. Um, and the Nuggets aren't playing till 8:40 on Saturday, so. It's not just the NHL that hates Colorado. Apparently, everybody does. But let's get into the series. Avs are up 2-0. Haven't trailed yet, which I think is pretty awesome, even though we knew that they took care of business at home, and that's exactly what they did. But I would say they've been relatively dominant so far. Relatively is a good way to put it, because they've been really sticking it to the Blues. The fact that in both games... They jumped out to big leads. I mean, obviously it was 1-1 in the first game, but it was it was a kind of 1-1 where going into the third, you're just like, all right, when are they going to do this? And they did it in the first minute or minute 10 or whatever it was in that third period. But they jumped out to leads in both games. They controlled both games. There was never a point in any game where you truly felt like they were going to lose it. 
And that includes the five-minute major when they scored finally after, I mean, let's face it, it, was a, it, was, it wasn't the best power play for three and a half minutes. They were controlling the puck. They were cycling the puck, but they weren't getting any good looks. And then they got a good look. They scored. There was still a minute 24 left on the power play. They were only down a goal, and you still didn't feel like they were going to tie it up. You still felt like the Avalanche had it, and that's kind of the way it felt. And then they killed off the penalty, and suddenly it's 4-2. Hoffman goes back and makes it 4-3. Great. Blues pull their goalie, and Brandon Saad scores nine minutes later from center ice. Like, nothing about either game at any point felt like St. Louis had what it takes to actually win or to worry the Avalanche. Not the fans, not the players, not the coaching. They've been sticking it to a really good team for 120 minutes, and and they've been doing a damn good job at it. Yeah, I mean, I'd still say they've been entertaining games, right? We've seen both teams really grind yeah. hard and both teams really dig in. There's been a good a, Playoff hockey. a good amount of physicality, right, exactly, to be expected. But it really just comes down to talent, in my opinion. I mean, it just feels like no matter how much the St. Louis Blues scratch and claw at this, the they just don't have what it takes to compete with the forward and even the defensive group that the Avalanche are icing right now. The thing is about the St. Louis Blues in 2019, they worked they 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 won the Stanley Cup based off the persona that you can outwork talent. You can absolutely outwork talent unless the talent also works hard. Mm-hmm. Then you're then you're screwed. That's why you can't beat Sidney Crosby. He's a hell of a player and he's still busting his ass working hard. He just he just watched, you know, help the Islanders, help the Penguins beat the Islanders to tie the series up in a game where he was all over the ice. He was getting involved physically. He was doing all the things you needed to do. So when you have the avalanche, you have Nathan McKinnon, who, hey, look, he's already one-fourth of the way to his regular season goal total in two games. Yeah, he's got a couple empty netters, but he, he scored both of those with great purpose. <laughs> really <laughs> shot a shot a hard puck into the empty net both times, kind of to stick it to the blues. Um, you have Miko Rantanen, who's, you know, should have a couple goals, but has kind of been snake bit on that front, but he's got a bunch of assists. Kel McCarr is doing his Kel McCarr thing, just outstanding. All the depth guys are stepping up. Jost looks good. Nichushkin looks good. Donskoy had a couple of goals. And then you have Gabe Landeskog, who's been the absolute heart of this team and just really driving home the fact that this is playoff hockey and, and, in, and in a playoff atmosphere, you need to step up. And the captain who's had a good season and a good career is stepping up in the playoffs. Yeah, and of course what you're referring to is how he's had a hand in every goal while not getting points, right? I mean, you you start off with that Ryan O'Reilly hit yesterday in Game 2. You can't forget about the fight in Game 1. And then, of course, the, the... the traffic in front of the net that he's creating that really allowed for those Nathan McKinnon snipes from the blue line. I mean, those were all Gabe Landeskog that he gets no credit for on paper. But, I mean, what he's doing, you, you, you love it. Yeah, he parks his ass right in front of Bennington on every power play. Every single time McKinnon has those shots from the blue line where he uh, he fires home a wrister and it either gets tipped in or goes in, Landis Gogg's in front of the net. I'm going to cut myself off. The Minnesota Wild are up 2 nothing on Vegas. Hallelujah. So Landis Gogg's always in front of the net. He's always there. Having you know, creating that traffic in front of in front of Jordan Bennington in the crease in the blue paint. Bennington tries to push him away and can't. He's frustrating a goalie that could have won the con Smythe a couple years ago. And then on top of that, you have uh, you have him getting involved physically in both games early to set the tone. The first game, he goes after Braden Shen. Shen kind of had that knee-on-knee hit on Miko Rantanen. The intent wasn't there. I know people are like, oh, Braden Shen, this, that. The intent wasn't there. And I was happy to see kind of Landis Gog reaffirm that in his post-gamer. 
But he said it loud and clear. He said, look, it's playoff hockey. We got a bunch of fans here. He just hit my teammate. I know the you know wasn't the dirtiest hit in the world, but he still knee-on-knee hit, almost knee-on-knee hit Ranton and almost knocked him out. So I'm going to fight him. And what I really liked about that fight was you saw the linesman get involved early. And you saw Braden Shen breaking away from the linesman and kind of corner Landeskog towards the boards. And Landeskog wasn't hiding behind the linesman. He pushed him out of the way and said, I'm taking this fight. I'm not giving up this fight. He took the fight. He did damn well. The Avalanche drew a penalty and went on to score. And the penalty was on Ryan O'Reilly, who, as we know, never takes penalties. Then game two comes around. And we all saw what happened in that first minute. He levels Ryan O'Reilly behind the net 28 seconds in. Not only does Ryan O'Reilly never take penalties, the dude never gets hit. And he got hit, and he got hit because he got outsmarted by a player that also has a high hockey IQ, but not to his level. Just completely, you know, it wasn't the biggest hit, but he flattened him against the boards. The crowd loved it. Went absolutely bananas at Ball Arena. Set up Ryan Graves at the point. Shot it. Goal. 35 seconds in. Fastest playoff goal in Avalanche history. Tell me why, two games in, Landeskog isn't the heart of this team and and the reason why the Avalanche are doing what they're doing. Yeah, I simply can't. I mean, the fight, I think, is just simply the captain reading the room, I think. It was less or, or anger-oriented, less anger-driven, and more just, hey, this is a perfect opportunity to spark the team. Say, hey, I'm the captain, of, and let's get these playoffs started, right? And I, I loved that from him. And the hit, yeah, that was just a monstrous hit. I couldn't believe it. I mean, opposite corner of the building i'm in the press box he's all the way across ball arena and you could just hear the crunch of that i mean it was just so loud so i think him just kind of answering the bell of hey this team is is soft right that's and me i'm kind of making fun of myself i'm mimicking me here hey this team is soft they don't have what it takes to have a playoff run they don't they don't play with the physicality that they need to win playoffs and there's gabe landeskog saying oh yeah watch me do yeah, watch me do what I'm doing. Watch Patrick Nemeth do what he's doing in front of the net. Watch freaking Tyson Jost, who's about four foot two, sixty four pounds. I'm just kidding. He's yeah, a lot he's bigger than do it. He's, he's getting, getting into, into it, it with uh, with big guys. The dude, and I know there was a hit involved later, but I'm not talking about the hit. But he was he was duking it out with Robert Bertuzzo at one point, and later on he's in front of the net battling with Kyle Clifford, and Clifford kind of throws him to the floor, and Jost gets back up and jumps in his face, and I'm like, dude. <laughs> Clifford's a tough guy. Like, what are you doing? He doesn't care. This is the avalanche saying, you're not going to mess with us. Nathan McKinnon, we know what he can do. Gabe Landeskog, we obviously know what he can do. Nazem Kadri, we will talk about him. We know what he can do. Pierre-Edouard Belmar, he's been in everybody's face at the end of that first game when there was all that scrum and you know crap going on in front of the crease where Grubauer took a wipe at uh, Clifford. There was Pierre-Edouard Belmar right in the middle of it. So the Avalanche have the guys, and they still have Matt Calvert and and Logan O'Connor sitting on the outside looking in with injuries. They have the guys to play physical. They didn't have as much size. They brought in Patrick Nemeth. Suddenly everything's different. Let's get into what you said earlier about how, you know, they were still 1-1 going into the third in game one, right? And I'm not going to say that the Avs aren't playing the full 60 because even in game two, you saw a sudden momentum shift there uh, in in St. Louis's favor. When the abs were dominating, like what twenty four to ten in shots at one point, and then something like su- that. Suddenly, it was tied, and and they were completely even, and and obviously St. Louis was pushing. So, again, I don't want to say they're not playing a full sixty because I see them working hard, and it's playoffs. It's gonna be harder naturally, but there just there does seem to be some inconsistencies. So the inconsistencies are coming with controlling the puck, but again, this is what I go back to what I said in the beginning about 
have the Avalanche ever felt like they were actually going to lose the game is this. How many grade eight massive saves has Philip Grubauer needed to make? None. I mean, I don't want to say none. There was one say- Not there, none. There was no, one there save. Was, there was yeah, a there's one in particular there that a, stands it, out to my mind that if if he would have done the typical goaltender lay on your side and save, it would have been all over all the highlight shows. But since he was yeah. so perfectly square to it and it hit him right in the in the arm, I'm sure you remember it. I know I know exactly. And Nathan which McKinnon was standing about. right in front of him, like, oh thank God, what a great save. And that was a huge save that I don't think gets the recognition. Yes. Okay. Now in St. Louis, look how good Jordan Bennington's been playing. Look how good he was in game. Well, not so much in game two. I'm not going to lie. Game two, Bennington didn't make as many big saves. He did have that double save on Landis Gog early. Yeah, Remember early. that? After I the think goal. early is where Bennington. Landis Gog had a shot. Yeah. Another say- yeah. But Bennington, what's happening to him is he's getting worn down with the game really mm-hmm. quickly, both physically and mentally. He's getting frustrated as the game goes on. And instead of doing that Semyon Varlamov thing he used to do in Colorado, where it's like, I don't care what's happening on the other side. My job over here is to make saves. And the Avalanche would beat the Blackhawks 2-1, to one, even though Chicago outshoots some 55-12 to 12 or whatever. I know it's a random number, but that's because Varlamov only worries about what he's doing here. Jordan Bennington's not only getting worn out physically, because let's face it, he's exhausted. He's also getting worn out mentally because as the game goes on, he's getting more and more frustrated. His team is not doing well. They're giving up the puck. The Avalanche are completely just suffocating them. They're controlling play. And the longer the game goes, the easier it is to beat Bennington because he looks like he's doing that thing where when he lets in a goal, he's looking at his team and going, can someone just do something other than Mm -hmm. me? And you don't want that mentality coming out of your goalie because once that starts to happen, then you start to have enemies within your own team. So... I ask again, I understand the Blues have had great chances, but has, has Grubauer really needed to play on top of his game? No. And it's kind of part of the reason why on a national level, nobody's really talking about Grubauer winning the Vezina, even though he has the stats, because nobody looks at Grubauer and says he's had to do what other goalies have had to do this year. I'm not taking away from Philip Grubauer. He has been friggin' awesome, and, and, and he's completely changed my opinion of him to the point where I think the Avalanche need to re-sign him and he needs to stick around for three to five more years. However, this team is so damn good that even if Patrick Wall was in goal in his prime, even if they had Vasilevsky, these guys wouldn't need to do much because they're not facing much. And when they are facing a lot of shots, like the Blues, when they tied it up, at any point during the Blues' surge of shots, did you really think did it really feel like they were completely dominating? No, because they were getting all these shots from the outside. They were low danger. There wasn't really much pressure on Grubauer. The Avalanche were doing a good job of just letting the Blues pad their shot total stats. Shout out Mike Russo. They were padding their shot totals without really doing anything with it. So it, it just kind of feels like, I, I, I have to say it again, the Avalanche have controlled this game to the point where even when the Blues have the momentum, they, they actually don't. Yeah, I mean, I think both games would have gotten out of hand early had it not been for Bennington, and Miko Ransom wouldn't be snake-bitten if it wasn't for Bennington (laughs) either. Um, But when you look at Grubauer, I I agree with you. I'm with you on that statement that the Avalanche are so good that he hasn't had to work hard. But I think he also has elevated his game so much that it doesn't look like he's working hard. And he's controlling so many rebounds. I mean, how many times have we seen him punch a blocker save? Like, it's just whatever like you know not even yeah. putting much effort last again last night i saw mckinnon walk in on bennington shoot uh, a shot towards bennington's blocker a, a rocket just like he always does and bennington had to you know jerk his body over to punch it away grubauer's just c- 
calmly, slowly yeah. punching these away, catching them, keeping them in his in his armpits. You know, he's he's preventing rebounds and he's just playing. Like I said, the other save that he made is just so picture perfect that nobody's noticing how ridiculously good he's playing. There's a lot to say about how good you need to be as a goalie mentally to do what Grubauer has done this season and sometimes face 15, 20, 25 shots and still shut the door. I'm going to go back to the Semyon Varlamov in Denver. Semyon Varlamov with the Avs had like this exceptional record when he faced 40 plus shots. But if he faced 30 or less, his record wasn't as good. His winning percentage wasn't as good. Surprisingly, and this is the thing where when the Islanders signed him, I was like... This guy needs a lot of action in order to be a good goalie. Surprisingly, now with the Islanders, he faces almost nothing and lets in next to nothing. You know, led the NHL in shutouts and everything this season. I think tied with Grubauer. Um, so he kind of switched it around. But for Gruby, I like there's a lot to say about a goalie being able to do what he's been doing and really keep his cool, keep his uh, keep his you know keep his focus. And, and I've been talking about it all year. He just seems super focused this year. He seems very like a lot more mature, less frustrated, less angry, and just going to work and doing his job. And then rinse, wash, repeat. I'll do it again in two nights, and then again in two nights, and then again in two nights. And he's been doing that the whole year, and it's it's just been great to see. So I'm not going to completely take away from his game. Um, it is worth mentioning that he hasn't faced a lot, but he's still done a good job at that. There's one picture that comes to my mind that just epitomizes what Philip Grubauer has been this year, and that's the picture of him at the Lake Tahoe game with his sunglasses yes, on, right? Yeah, so with those shades. Just, just cool, calm, collected, chilling. ready to make some saves. I'm did you, group hour, baby. Did you see his, uh, were you on the media availability today? No. He showed up on Zoom with his cowboy hat on, just full of swag. <laughs> he just... Yeah, I'm Philip Grubauer. I'm here. Yeah, so Jordan Bennington's been what? Yeah, I know he's kind of an idiot. I'm just making saves. Ha <laughs> ha. Just totally, just just Ricky Suave, man. Just a great guy. Love it. And then uh, another big reason for the Avs' success lately, I think, has to be the power play. Right, two for two for two in game two, one for three in game one, which puts them at three for five total. I mean, it's it's no secret that the Avalanche power play is a absolute weapon, but. To have it buzzing this way in the playoffs is exactly the recipe you need for success in the playoffs, right? I think, who is it? Is it Nashville hasn't scored a a, a power play goal all playoffs? Like that's just yeah. not the way to do it, right? So you love to see the playoff going so dangerously. And last night, watching McKinnon get those playoff or those pe power play goals, were they two power play goals for McKinnon? I know one of them at least, but that's his spot on the power play up by the blue line, and he scored a couple of those. I, th I think he had one because the second one was tipped by Don Right, Skoy. right, right, right. Yes, right. Don Skoy. He, he could have had a four-goal game if Don Skoy didn't touch it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, that's a crazy game. So here's the thing about the power play. In the playoffs, uh, power plays are hard to get, and we've noticed that. The physicality ramps up, but the penalties go away, and it's because— well, I mean, we've been saying it for years. It's because the refs swallow the whistle and kind of, you know, create a new rule book in, in the playoffs. But I, I don't like to take other people's opinions. But if it's something that I kind of like intri is intriguing and kind of opens up my mind to a new thought, I do like to shout it out. Elliot Friedman recently said, I think it was on a radio show. He said, I don't think the refs have a new rule book for the players or for the playoffs. It's the players that play a different game in the playoffs than they do in the regular season, and the refs continue to call it the same way. But in the playoffs, since there's so much more action, it looks like it's the it's the refs swallowing their whistles, where realistically, they swallow the whistles for the same plays in the regular season. They're just not as prevalent. 
So in the playoffs, power plays are hard to come by. You need to capitalize on them. And from the beginning of the series, there's been a couple things that have really set the tone. Gabe Landeskog fighting Braden Shen set the tone. Hitting Ryan O'Reilly set the tone. In game one, when O'Reilly took a penalty for tripping McKinnon, which again, the dude never takes penalties, they scored right away. Kale McCard did his little walk the blue line thing, just an outstanding wrist shot. By the way, little sidebar, how great is it to see Kale McCarr running that power play the way he is now? Because his, his rookie season in 2020, if you remember, we talked about how Kale McCarr is this exceptional player, but he needs a little bit of time to build the chemistry Tyson Berry has. Now look where he's at. Yeah, I mean, the one-twos between him and Nathan McKinnon, they're always on the same page, and it's just like yep. tel- telepathy going on between them. Yeah, it used to be, It used to be. no, he has to get to the level Barry got to, and Barry was exceptional on the power play. It took him three or four years to build that chemistry. McCarr's like, all right, give me 65 games over two mm-hmm. years in the middle of Art. a pandemic with a four-month pause and a game in Edmonton. Already surpassed Barry in his, you know, I got in his it. role. Yeah, I'll, I got it, and then he did it. He scored that first goal in the power play. And then the next game comes along and now they start doing that thing where they switch off and suddenly McKinnon's at the point. We've been talking about it for a couple of years, firing those wristers in the blue line that pretty much have eyes on the, uh, on the puck. The puck has eyes as it makes its way through. So they start to switch. So suddenly McKinnon's on the point. He's shooting it. Goal. He shoots it again. Goal. It's just crazy to see how good that power play is. So they set the tone by scoring on the power play. Their first opportunity of games. They set the tone physically with Gabe Landeskog. And number three, they set the tone by shutting down the Smythe Trophy winner from a couple years ago. The guy that used to play in Denver. The guy that it hurts me to talk about in a negative light because I love the dude. And it's Ryan O'Reilly. It's, it's, it's Ryan O'Reilly. It's I hear you. I mean, what is he, a minus four right now? Minus six. Minus six. Holy he's, cow. he's got a minus a period. And he said, did you... If, if, if you know, for everybody that read my my Dean's List story yesterday, my entire intro was centered around Ryan O'Reilly coming into the series saying we're gonna have some fun and we're gonna win. And not only has he not had any fun, he hasn't won, or we're gonna beat him. Not only has he not had any fun, he hasn't beaten them, and he's been beaten physically in the last two games. He got pummeled by by Gabe Landeskog. He got drawn into a penalty by Nathan McKinnon. The Avalanche scored on that power play. He got pummeled by Landeskog. The Avalanche scored on that play, then drew a penalty, then scored on the power play. He's lost it. Mm -hmm. And he needs to pick it back up at Enterprise Center or the Blues are going to fall in four games. Yeah, just back to what I was saying. I mean, he's a great player and he's not necessarily playing terrible, but he's just outmatched. He just can't defend this top line by himself. So, um, And you know... And you know very well, Ryan O'Reilly, even though he's won a Stanley Cup, even though he's won a Conn Smythe, no one and nothing will ever make Ryan O'Reilly ever regret leaving the Avalanche. I don't care if they win three Cups in the next four years. He will never regret it. He he, he drew his own path. He did it himself. He went to Buffalo and got paid. Then he left Buffalo. He picked his own location. He got traded there. He won a Cup. He won a Conn Smythe. He was and still is the best player on that team with a C on his jersey. He will never regret leaving the Avalanche. Matt Duchesne will. Paul Stastny might. Tyson Berry, you know he still misses his boys and Nate Dogg and being mm-hmm. in Denver. Nothing will ever make Ryan O'Reilly regret leaving Denver, but you know, despite all of that, he still wants to stick it to this team, and he's not been able to do anything in two games. 
Right. So along with that, let's look at the other side of the spectrum from the power play, and that's the penalty kill. Now, aside from one guy, and we'll get into we'll we'll get into him next. The yes. discipline from the Avalanche has been there, right? There's only been yeah. three penalties in two games, and one of them was the five-minute major, so you can technically say there's been four, but there's only been three. Um, so the discipline has just been great from the Avalanche to see. I mean, it was, what, all, all the way till that cadre hit that the Avalanche didn't even have a single penalty last night. So Outside I mean, that, of, that's, they, they didn't have a single penalty for two games outside of Ryan Graves. He had both minors in the first game. I mean, they weren't the worst penalties to take, but, I mean, one of them was a puck over the glass. That's a pretty brutal penalty to take. But, yeah, their discipline has absolutely been there. And Ryan Graves has been, you know, kind of all Good. over the place. He's done he's done bad stuff like that, that yeah. shot over the glass, but you can't forget about that save he made, right? That uh, Oh, yes, huge. In game one, exactly. And, so, and, and how funny is it, by the way, how many times we've seen the Avalanche break out on a rush, a counterattack, which they're excellent at. And you'll have like McKinnon has a puck or Landeskog or Donskoy with the score. And you're like, oh, who's the winger streaking up with him? And it's 27. You're like, what the hell are you doing back there? And then you got a center sitting at the blue line going, I, that could be me, but I'm covering for Graves because he thinks he's going to go up there and do something. Like right, it's or, the funniest thing. Or the Avs, you know, maintain possession in the offensive zone. You've got McKinnon suddenly at the blue line and Ryan Graves down in the McKinnon oh, office no. waiting for a one T. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Love Graves. I mean, he, he, he set up that first goal. Yesterday, he had the shot at the blue line that Donskoy ended up finishing. But no, he's looked well. And outside of his two penalties, the Avalanche didn't take any other penalties until Nazem Kadri's five-minute major, which is a pretty big topic of discussion right now. Right. And, and as we record this, sorry, I've been cutting you off the entire episode today. Shout out me. As we record <laughs> this, we still have no word on when he's going to meet with the NHL. We just know that it's going to be uh, in person. And I do that with air quotes because it's an in person on Zoom. So instead of phone, it's phone and camera. And uh, it could be five plus games. It's at least going to be a game because they're not in a rush. But we'll see. Well, what I was going to say before you prematurely changed the topic and had a conversation with yourself is that okay. Ryan Graves has really impressed me with his ability to get the shots through. Uh, I think that was something he struggled with all year, yeah. and you're seeing his wrister get through to the net now. So, I, you know, I love that, love that from him. Um, but first, before we get into Kadri, let's talk about DraftKings Sportsbook, guys. It's playoff time. Big stakes, bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some big cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who play hey, JJ. bet what? I just wanted to distract you during your ad read. Go ahead. <laughs> Why would you do that? Now DraftKings hates us. I'm just cutting you off. It's part of the episode. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right. For every 1,500 players who bet the over on the select game, the over-under will drop by one point. Every better who hammers the over in the featured game helps to lower the game over, game's over-under. The best part is that even as the line lowers, the odds remain at even money. That's right. You can double your money by hammering the over. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code MHS when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of the over hitting, so tell your friends and family this is a team effort 
Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That promo code is MHS for limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. Restrictions apply. Maximum $25 wager. One per customer. Offer ends May 23rd. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700 or talk to JJ. (laughs) I love how they said uh, tell your friends and family, right? That's one of our lines. Tell your friends. Tell your mom. Tell your mom's friends. Tell your friends' moms. So I wish they would have thrown that in there. Tell everybody. Um, But yeah, that's uh, quite... Quite the promo, so you got to keep an eye on it day by day. You know, check in on it in the morning, see where the odds are at. Tell your friends, hey, let's jump in on this. Watch it lower throughout the day, and boom, you've got yourself a low over under that you'll probably guaranteed to hit. So, and love those DraftKings promos. A heck of a lot better of a guarantee than JJ's plays recently. Hey, by the way, Minnesota and Vegas. Who'd you take today? Oh, I got Vegas, and I'm so confused about this team. I think Vegas is such a strong team, and at any point, they're supposed to just pop off for a six to one win over minnesota but minnesota just keeps playing them so well i don't get it you know what's funny you know what's funny about the golden knights they've been around for four years and they already have the reputation of not scoring goals in the playoffs as if it was like the same length of a reputation as like philadelphia not being able to develop a goalie or have a goalie at all it's like yeah yeah vegas just can't score in the vegas hasn't been around for that long like vegas became a team the year after the Avalanche were last place. And they've already had this reputation like it's set in stone. Generations upon generations of people know the Vegas Golden Knights just can't score in the playoffs. And here we are. They're down 2 nothing at the end of the first intermission. I really hope they lose this game because otherwise it's going to sound hilarious when people listen to this tomorrow. Yeah. And, I mean, they got shut out in game one, too. So you're right. They just can't seem to score. And I don't I don't understand. I'm here scratching my head. But, hey, I'm going to keep, uh, keep with what I think because – Whenever I deviate from my own gut feeling, that's when I really get burned. So let's get into Nazem Kadri. I think that was really the conversation yes. that dominated yesterday's game. I'm surprised we didn't lead with it, but I think you know the Av success is a little bit more important right now than getting yeah. distracted by one player. So I guess that's a good place to start. I mean, what what do you think the team feels about this guy right now? How do you think his teammates and the coach feel seeing him? make another mistake that's going to cost him games and it ultimately hurt his team. I don't think it's as bad as people think. Not the hit. The 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 reaction towards Kadri. And here is why. The first time he got suspended in Toronto in the playoffs, the screws came loose. He did something stupid. The second time, Jake DeBrusque went after Patrick Marlowe. Do you remember the 2019 suspension? Kadri yeah. was, yeah, so he was completely dominating in that series. He was a factor in game one, and it and was a second game. And he cross somebody in the head? Yeah, and then Jake DeBrus goes after Marlowe, and he goes up, like, imagine Jake, imagine someone throws a rock at you, so you turn around, pick up a piano, and drop it on their head. <laughs> Literally what he did. He went too far. His screws got loose. It was, it was not the reaction that needed to happen. Now, yesterday was not a case of Kadri screws going loose. It was a case of Kadri trying to throw a hit, and it went bad. It went completely bad. He shouldn't have caught him in the head, but he did. It was one of those things where the intent wasn't there. I don't think it was the kind of play, and you can kind of tell. Like, he threw his hands up like, oh, come on, are you serious? Like, this... It was even arguing like I didn't I didn't hit him. There. Yeah. I didn't I didn't hit him in the head. I didn't hit. You know, it this, happened yeah. so fast. This wasn't the and, kind of yeah. this wasn't the kind of play where Kadri's just this angry, crazy guy that got suspended and then comes back the next year and 
you're going to need to calm down, Nas. And then he does it again and then comes back the next year and does it. No, it wasn't that. The intent wasn't there. It was a play gone bad. His reputation might be the reason why he gets a long suspension, but this is by no means a play where you go into the locker room and everybody's like, thanks, 91. Like, what the hell was? No, it was not that at all. It's a shitty play that happened at a shitty time for a player that didn't need it. Just like we said yesterday on the video that we did. This was the last thing Kadri needed, but I do not think anybody in that locker room is going to go against him. Any of this talk of protect Nichushkin, Jost, and Comfort and don't protect him, let Seattle take him, get this guy off the team, he's selfish, relax. It's not that serious. It really truly isn't. I don't have any time for those conversations. I don't have time for what's probably going to be a couple of days of editorials from journalists all over the city and probably all over national media talking about how Kadri is a selfish player and get him out of here. He doesn't belong on this team. I'm not having any of that. The guy's had a bad two months of hockey and then a hit goes wrong. And it's a hit that goes wrong. It wasn't his anger that made him hit. It was a hit that went wrong. And now suddenly screw this guy. That's not the way it works. So I don't think it was as bad on that sense, but I do think it was a bad hit. Right. I mean, it all happened so fast that obviously I was watching the puck. So out of the corner of my eye, I see the hit and I'm like, oh, that's not a bad hit. Of course, you watch the slow motion. Yeah, we were talking about it. You watch the slow motion and it it was a bad hit. It It was a really bad hit, but it happened so quickly. He was just coming in trying to make a play. And again, like you said, no malintent there right but I think you're absolutely and I think you're right I don't think his teammates because of that non-malintent and him just wanting to come in make a play I think his teammates understand that and said oh you know there yeah he wasn't he didn't lose his marbles he was just trying to uh, come in and make an impact but the one person I do think might be a bit disappointed in him is coach Jared Bednar because we've heard before even when Nazem Kadri first came to the Avs and Jared Bednar and Nazem Kadri sat down and they had a discussion about how Nazem Kadri needs to change his mindset and he's not going to make these these bonehead plays in the playoffs. And I mean, I get it. It was a mistake, but it's the third time in the playoffs. There has to be a little no, bit. There no, no, has no. to be a little his bit. Mindset, his mindset changed. It wasn't a bonehead play. It was a play that went wrong. A bonehead play is cross-checking your stick over the forehead of Ryan O'Reilly or something stupid like that like you did with Jake DeBrusque. You do something like that, your Bednar is going to look at you and be like, we talked to you about your anger. We talked to you about getting frustrated and doing stupid, stupid things like this. And we talked to you about changing your mindset. His mindset has been changed since he came to the avalanche. Let's not pretend that for the last, what are we, two months away where we're six weeks away from the two-year anniversary of the trade. It was July 1st, 2019. Let's not pretend that for the last 23 months, Kadri hasn't been a fan favorite here for 21 It's been two months of him playing bad and a hit went wrong and everybody wants to throw his ass out of town like he's 45 years old. (laughs) You know, like Zach Parisi went from 50 points to 15 points or 17 points or whatever he had this year. Kadri's not past his prime. He's not over the hill. He's not suddenly a 10, 20, 10, 15, 20 point player. He's not overpaid. He only makes four and a half million. He's a hell of a second line center. Teammates love him. The dude bought everybody in the bubble in Edmonton last year. Gucci slippers. Like a true Arab, because that's we love our Gucci. And we're going to sit here and talk about Nazem Kadri just being the selfish player who didn't change his mindset. Again, I'm not going to have any time for conversations like that. And no, I'm not just sticking up for my Arab brother. I'm sticking up for a player that I know is a great player and, and is someone that this team very much values in the locker room and on the ice. He's had a bad couple months. Let's not throw salt in the wound because a play went bad. 
Yeah, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that by any means. I just think that, uh, you know, th- there there was a better way to have handled the hit. I think he kind of came up I a little know. bit. Um, but, you know. It's I'm the last it's, thing it's, he needed. It's a bit disappointing. And I think without the track record, there's not nearly this conversation, right? I don't think the hit was yep. that egregious. But yeah. it's really his history that's that's bringing him down here. Exactly. That's exactly what it is. It goes back to the Tom Wilson conversation from the other day. If 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 Panarin jumped on the back of, let's pick a guy from another team. I don't know, another big guy. Ryan Lomberg in Florida. He just scored an overtime goal. He's a pretty big dude. And Ryan Lomberg turned around and just get the hell off of me and threw him down to the ice. I would have been like, why are they jumping Ryan Lomberg? But what do we say when he jumped Tom Wilson and Wilson threw him to the ice? What did I say? You're Tom Wilson and you're dealing with Artemi Panarin. You need to handle with care. And I said that because of Tom Wilson's reputation. Mm -hmm. So I understand the reputation aspect. I understand he's going to get suspended. I have two theories on what I think is going to happen with his suspension, which has not been announced, nor has even met with the NHL yet at the timing of this recording. But I'm not going to have a conversation about him just being a selfish prick or anything like that. In regards to the suspension, yes, a suspension is going to happen. In my opinion, one of two things are going to happen. The NHL is going to sit down. They're going to have a long conversation with him. And it's kind of going to be kind of like that come to Jesus conversation. I hate to use this as an example because it kind of sounds like I'm comparing something in hockey to something in real life. But remember when Varlamov had his issues with with the authorities in 2014 Mm -hmm. and Sakic and Wah sat him down and really grilled him. What's going on here? And he was honest to God, genuine, like threw his hands up like nothing. I didn't do any of this. Nothing is happening here. The NHL is going to have an honest-to-God conversation with Kadri, and they're going to realize the intent is not there. So this is theory number one. The intent was not there. It was a hit that went bad. If um, Pick another tough guy on the avalanche. If this happened with Patrick Nemeth, they'd give Patrick Nemeth two games or three games and just call it a day. It was a bad hit, Nemeth. Here's a slap on the wrist. Don't do it again. But because it's Kadri, they have to sit there and be like, what really happened? And Nas is going to be like, I didn't mean it. It just happened. It was a boneheaded play on my set on my end in the sense where I just made the wrong decision at the wrong time. Not because I was a boneheaded, frustrated, my anger got the best of me. So theory number one is that's going to come to realization and they're going to be like, okay, but we have to set a standard with you because you're Kadri. Or they just say F off like with Wilson and we're like, we're not going to set a standard. But it ends up being one to three games, maybe two. Just a nice, good, you're not going to play at Enterprise Center for two games. Second theory, they're going to say, regardless of the intent part, you still made another mistake. And because you made another mistake, third strike, I mean, not that there are strikes, but strike three out of, you know, an unlimited amount of strikes because they're not going to kick them out of the league. We have to give you a bigger suspension and it's going to be one of two things. It's going to be exactly what it was in 2019, which is the rest of the series and it happened in game two that year as well. Or it's going to be what I think is something, you know, uncharted territories. Granted, the NHL giving him the rest of the series and not a certain amount of games was already uncharted territories. We've never seen that before. We always saw four games, five games, but they just said you're done for the series, whether it ends in four or seven and it went seven. I think this time around, if it's the second theory that I'm announcing, it's going to be You're done for the rest of the series, plus games one and two of the following series if your team makes it there. So it could be four games or it could be seven. If the Blues somehow push this to seven games, it'll be five games of this series plus two of the next. But basically, 
we think your team is going to win this, so you're going to miss games one and two at home next series too. Right, and I think for that reason, they're going to say, ah, we can't give them too short a one and only cut them four games. So I think they're going to come hard and say somewhere between six and eight. Um, yeah. So yeah, I, I like your second theory better. Yeah, I like that too. But again, I, I go back to the because player safety has been so like inconsistent and even when Tom Wilson was getting was getting in trouble, because again, Tom Wilson throwing Panarin off of his back, it's it's Tom Wilson again. It's this angry dude that's been riled up all game that went into the penalty box and did his little flexing thing on Rooney, I think it was, and lost his mind and then and then Panarin jumped on his back and he threw him to the floor and then he realized it was Panarin and still ragdolled him. And the NHL said if this was uh, Jeff Carter in Pittsburgh, we wouldn't be talking about it. And that's true. But it wasn't Jeff Carter in Pittsburgh. It was Wilson. But the NHL said, we don't care. It, this was a play that if it was anybody else, we wouldn't be complaining. So we are going to suspend him based off the play, not based off the player. So Wilson, what you did was wrong, but it wasn't as bad as everybody's saying. If that's the same theory that holds with with Kadri, it was look, it was it was a, it was a check to the head. It was an illegal hit. Yeah, to nobody's the head. defending it was that. Nobody. Nobody's defending that. He made the wrong play. But if this was a play that came from Valerie Nichushkin, well, Nichushkin's meeting with the NHL today. George Peros gives him a two-game suspension. You're not playing two games in St. Louis. We'll see you in Game Five if it gets there, and it's done. So is the NHL going to have that same approach as they did with Wilson, or are they going to want to throw the book at him? Those are my two theories. One of them is going to happen. Uh, so what? That's I just don't three out of the last four playoffs, right? That he'll he'll have a suspension. I yes. think it's probably leaning more of the book getting thrown at him, right? And at today, I and was, I agree, and I would agree with that if what happened to Wilson didn't happen to him two freaking weeks ago. It's not because I'm complaining that Wilson deserved more. I mean, yes, he did deserve more, but it's the NHL's thought process behind why he okay. didn't get yeah. more, which makes me feel like if they have that same approach with Cro with not Crosby with Kadri. He might not get as much. And if not, which, there's a double standard and they're going to look really stupid, right? Exactly. So that's kind of the thing. It's I agree Kadri should have a longer suspension because it is a bad hit. And you want to eliminate it from the game. But I also think Wilson should have had a longer suspension. So if they cut Wilson slack, well, now you got to cut Kadri slack. And if you don't cut Kadri, if you do cut Kadri slack, I'm going to disagree with Kadri's and I'm going to disagree with Wilson's. It's just the way it goes. So I'm not sitting here rooting for for theory number one. I just think that that might happen based off of what happened to Wilson. I think that's reasonable, and I think that's a pretty logical way to think about it. You know, good. I have good logic job. sometimes. Sometimes. Thank you. I appreciate um, that. I, I heard this. Uh, I guess it was this afternoon on NHL Network Radio. My old friend Shane O'Brien, who I drink Shane. several beers with. Of course, he does a radio show now, and he made a great He's point. A beauty. That, you know, the, the playoffs is just such a great time to be out there and battle with your boys, right? That getting another suspension is just self-torture for him. Now he has to yeah. sit out and watch the battle happen without taking part. And why Dude. why does he keep doing that to himself? Okay, imagine it's only two games. Well, even if it's more than two games. They just removed the restrictions. And your team's going on their first road trip since March of 2020 <laughs> where you can be a team. And he has to fly to the NHL Department of Safety to have a hearing. No, no. He it's it's on Zoom. Zoom. Yeah, He's going to sit in the basement of Tyson Berry's house that he's probably still renting out and just be like, this sucks. Just like my court date this morning for my speeding ticket. I drove 45 minutes to go you. to court and I just, just to sign up on, on a Zoom. Zoom link. God damn it. Um, I sat on. I sat in bed on Zoom last year. I'm sorry, sir. I did not mean to go 52. I thought I was going 35, and I did not mean to. And then they waved my ticket, and I went back to sleep. Yep. 
I could have gotten an extra hour of sleep and said I had to wake up at 7 after getting home super late after that game. That's why I was so grouchy about it. I had to start the podcast with it. But enough about Kadri. Let's talk about, you know, let's move forward and problem solve here. Obviously, Carl Soderberg, the next guy up, stepping in. Um, I guess, how do you think that adjusts the lines? What what impact is that going to have on the lineup? So you and I were kind of talking to Mark Mosier about this yesterday, and, and the opinion that I have is the Avalanche are going to give Newhook an opportunity. They're going to give Newhook an opportunity to be that second line center because you don't want to mess with the Tyson Jost line. And I kind of like what JT Comfer and Belmar are doing together. So you don't really want to touch that either. That duo together has been pretty damn awesome. So let's rewind back 20 years. 2001, the Avalanche had a third line of of Eric Messier, Sean Podine, and help me out because I'm embarrassing myself. Who was the third guy? Dan Hynote? No, it was Messier, Podine, and I'm missing someone, and I hate that I'm missing them. But regardless. We just talked about this last week, didn't we? I know, yeah. DeVries? No, he's a defenseman. No. Um, let me let me, let me me finish my point as I, as I look it up. But the Avalanche had that third line that was just working really, really well that they didn't want to mess with. So when Forsberg went down with an injury, and they moved Drury to center, so now it's Drury, Niemann, and insert blank, they didn't bring up somebody from the third line. They went to the fourth line and said, high note. Congratulations, you've been upgraded. So that's kind of the same exact idea. Uh, Stefan Yell, obviously. Podine, Yell, and Messier. They didn't want to mess with that line, so instead of taking somebody from there, they brought up Heino from the fourth line. So I kind of think it's the same thing. They don't want to mess with Jost and uh, Nichushkin in that line. They don't want to mess with the Belmar Comfer line. So in my opinion, they're going to bring Newhook up and throw Soderberg on that fourth line. However, because you have... Three natural sentiment on that fourth line in Soderberg, Belmar, and Comfer. Now, Newhook suddenly has a safety net. You got a defensive zone faceoff. You're losing uh, confidence in the kid. You don't think he has what it takes. Because let's face it, he's played like a grand total of 11 and a half minutes in two games. Well, hey, Soderberg, we're going to need you uh, to take a shift with that top line. And Soderberg's like, all right, I was the second line center on this team for four years. And you guys gave me Como and 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 Calvert and, and Nieto as my line mates. Hell yeah, I'll take a shift with Burakovsky and Donskoy. Sure, throw me up there. So they're going to they're gonna kind of flip-flop between the two of them. Newhook with a safety net of Soderberg and maybe Comfer. And let's be real, Newhook's earned it. What he's done in yeah. the limited amount of ice time that he gets, he makes an impact. And that's with guys that aren't necessarily his cup of tea offensive. in terms yeah. of a chemistry on, on uh, in an offensive standpoint, right? So I think a lot like Tyson Jost and what we've been saying the last couple of weeks, I feel like you put new hook with a little bit more talent and suddenly he's going to get his first goal and have a couple points on the board. You know, this is uncharted territory for the avalanche of the last decade to have this high draft pick. I mean, he was a 16th overall pick, but this high, highly skilled offensive guy coming to the NHL and you don't have a spot to throw him into the top six right away. That's uncharted territories. Even Tyson jokes, he signed out of Nodak. They threw him on the top line because they were like, we have Rene Bork, help us. <laughs> like, we don't have anybody else. Duchesne and O'Reilly came in, second line center, third line center. Uh, I think O'Reilly started the first game as a fourth line center because TJ Galliardi was a third line center. Like, they had nobody for these guys. Makar stepped in. Congratulations, top pair. Same exact thing with all these young kids. Bowen Byram even got a big chance before his injuries today. But Newhook is the first prospect the Avalanche have had with this much skill and uh, hype around him that they just don't have a spot to put him in right away, which is uncharted territories. But now, Kadri's out for a couple games. 
one man's suspension is another man's opportunity to step in and be a 21-year-old kid playing on the second line of a team that could win the cup. It's a pretty damn good place to be if you're Alex Newhook. Yeah, absolutely, and a time to prove himself, right? I mean, he's been proving himself left and right. He proved himself in the NCAA all year. Took him five minutes in the AHL for them to be like, whoa, this guy does not belong here. Let's send him up. And now he gets a little bit of an opportunity. I guarantee you he flourishes in it. Absolutely. He's he's the kind of kid that waits for these kinds of moments. And there's been some jitters with him and some of the some of the shifts he's had the last couple of games, but he's not done anything that was out of place. I mean, obviously Bednar's doing his part his part to protect him. But uh he's he's just been doing a great job and, and it's been he awesome. He has the to confidence see. to shoot. That's what I like, you know, especially from a young guy to see him have the confidence to not only get the puck through the blue line, but to get it on net too, rather than looking past first. I'm around a bunch of veterans. They know more than me. No, I'm a goal scorer. I like to score goals, so I'm going to shoot the puck. So I like him not being timid there too. Yeah, exactly. So I, I, I think this is a great opportunity for him. And you know what, man? If it doesn't work out and you got to put Soderberg there or JT Comfort there, so be it. We've seen it before. Burakovsky skilled. Donskoy skilled. Who cares? We still got Tyson Jost. You still got McKinnon. You're fine. So let's look at the uh, next pair of games here. Obviously at the Enterprise Center in St. Louis, game four and five. What is it? Friday and Sunday coming up here. So what are you expecting? What are some predictions? What do you need to see from Colorado to uh, let's get a sweep here? So starting the game strong like they have the last couple. The first game on the road for the higher seeded team is always the hardest game of the series. 2014, the Avalanche took a 2-0 series lead, went to Minnesota for Game 3, shut her down. 2018, Nashville took a 2-0 series, went to Game 3 against the Colorado Avalanche that were playing with house money, shouldn't have even been in the playoffs, but you know, wrote a high PDO and a Bernie A 10-game winning streak to get there. I think they were up 5-1 early in the second period of that game, or 5-0. And then Nashville came back and ended it in 6 because Hammond stood on his head in Game 5, but... You get the point. That first game back in, in, in the road team's building is always hard for the higher seed of team. But if the Avalanche, especially with fans returning, increased capacity, the emotion, bring it home, let's cheer for our team and stop watching them get blown out in Denver. If the Avalanche start the game strong, take a one nothing lead, 2 nothing lead, they're just going to wipe out all the energy left in the Blues. And Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Bennington and all these guys that are trying just have their arms up like... We can't beat this team. What the hell do we do? Then you got a 3 nothing series lead. Then you have an early game on a Sunday. Put her away, shut her down, have a couple days off. I think that's exactly the mindset that the Blues were in after the first period, right? I could easily see there being some tension, some arguments between teammates because of that exact thing. They're like, we're doing everything, and it's just not working. And suddenly that leads to frustration, which could lead to finger pointing. So you're right. If they can knock them out early, I think this is as good as a sweep, right? You you're suddenly yeah. they're they're flattened mentally and they have no recovery after that. And Landeskog's the heart of this team. Landeskog has heart and and I don't know what he's going to do early, but he had heart in the first game when he went out and fought Braden Shen. He had heart in the second game when he went out and pummeled Ryan O'Reilly. I don't know what Landeskog can have heart to do in the third game. Run over Bennington, score score a breakaway. I don't know what he can do. But if Landis Cog comes out and does what he did the last two games, the Avalanche take a lead, the Avalanche put her away and take a 3 nothing series lead into Sunday. Yeah, I mean, he deserves some points, you know, so let's get him some goals, he some does. assists, something. 
He does. Just to get the get the credit uh, on paper so people maybe who aren't watching the games notice him a little bit more. Yeah, and but, I, I'm going to go out of my way to make sure that the people that – if there's people that are not watching the games but listening to this podcast, they understand that Landis Gog has the heart and, and, and the, is, is the heart and the soul of this team right now. He's the reason why they're up to nothing. He's He's been it all. I agree 100%. While Nathan McKinnon scoring the goals, you know, McCarr's setting up plays. Groovy's without, making the saves. Groovy's making the big saves. And without Landy, uh, I, none of that really happens to set the tempo early. So, you yeah. know, just great captaining from this captain. Yeah. Um, he's he's out-captaining the other guy. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. As much as that hurts you to say, I know. That brings us to... The Mile High Sports three stars of the week, much anticipated this week. I know. Brought to I you know. by Jeremy Drez. Star number three. Boo. I'm gonna shake people's bones here. I'm gonna shake them up, rile them up. I'm giving it to Jordan Boo. Bennington. It reminds me, you know, every time, exactly, every time you go to an Avs game, right, and the Avs win, but somebody from the other team gets thrown in there as the third star, and the crowd's just pissed. That's what I'm going for here. So Jordan Bennington gets star number three for me for a. Like I said, I think this series would be a lot more wide open if it wasn't for some big saves of his early in both games. But B, my favorite part about him is exactly that. Just how he riles people up, shakes their bones to the core, and just he does even fans want to fight him, right? No, yes, no, he, he does. doesn't. Everybody Nobody wants to fight him. him. We look at him and Everybody think, hates him. Everybody hates him because you look at him and think, you're embarrassing yourself. Claude Lemieux was a villain in Detroit. People wanted to fight him. He wasn't this kid where everybody's looking at him like, you literally are an idiot, and you're stupid, and you're embarrassing yourself. That's Jordan Bennington this year. He's fake punching. He's fake punching. He's fake punching Eric Carlson at center ice after getting pulled in a game where he let in a lot of goals against a shitty team in San Jose. And everybody's yeah, like, fiery. oh, he's uh, he's riling up the Sharks. The Sharks are like, we don't deserve to be in the playoffs, and we're beating you, dude. Look at the scoreboard. Look at the Jumbotron above my head as you fake hit me with your blocker. And he's just doing this thing now where he's just trying to fight somebody and anybody, and he's going to end up doing that thing where he's going to end up running into the wrong goalie and being like, you know, for example, oh, this guy's got Ned Flanders on his mask. He must not be tough. <laughs> and then end up fighting a boxer in Peter Buda. I can kick the shit out of anybody. That's what's going to end up happening. Well, that's the problem with goalies is, you know, you you have that big chest protector and you burn so many calories every single time you step on the ice that the uh, 95% of the NHL goaltenders are just skinny twigs. So as long as he doesn't bump into Dubnik or Robin Leonard, the yeah, then, uh, you know, he probably won't end up with any black eyes. Dude, even Marc-Andre Fleury. Fleury's a fighter. Yeah, but he's he's little. Yeah, he's little, but he's a fighter. Bennington's not a fighter. He has no history of this. I don't think he's training with Conor McGregor between games. No, Maybe I that's agree. why he sucks. So there's nothing about Jordan Bennington that says, hey, don't fight that guy. Like, you know Nathan McKinnon isn't a fighter, doesn't want to fight, shouldn't be fighting. But if Nathan McKinnon needs to fight, you know you're going to have your hands full. He's, I, he's I, a tough guy. I like Jordan. No one thinks that of Bennington. I think the mindset of Jordan Bennington is a lot like a, a WWE wrestler, right? It's a, he's more yeah. of a showman. I, I saw a video of him getting in a fight with Ju in junior, and the funny part about it is you see the two goalies come up close, like they're saying something to each other, right? And then they back up and just have this stupid, just the wissiest fight you've exactly. ever seen. Exactly. That's but what I mean by that's, 
what I'm saying is I think he, you know, he go, went up because after the fight, the two goalies hugged and were like, hey, good fight, right? So I think they just went up to each other and said, hey, let's have a fake fight here, rile up the crowd. He knows what he's doing. He gets under people's skin no, and people dude. get pissed off and it he's bothers not, them. And look how bothered you are by me just simply giving him the third he's stop. He's not getting under people's he's skin. He's under your skin. He's, he's going, okay, he, he, so he, in the first game, Grubauer takes a, a very big Big swipe with his paddle at Kyle Clifford and and Bennington comes rushing down the ice. Yeah, he has every right to come down the ice. Your goalie hit a player. That's my signal to come. It's, it's how it's happened in hockey for as long as hockey's been around. But in the second game, Kadri hits Falk. A couple guys kind of tie each other up. And here comes Bennington rushing a center ice. Like, I want in. I want in. And Grubauer's like, dude, you're embarrassing yourself. Go back. to Even the linesmen were like, dude, just, just go back. Could we not do this every game? Just... Go sit over there where you let in four goals. Like, just go sit over there because you're keeping the net open and they're going to score on you again. Go back to your crease. Go back to your shanties, boy. Go sit over there. Good boy. Okay, good. Do we need to call in Vili Huso? No, shut up and sit in net. That's what he's doing. He's just embarrassing himself. That so what like is what's. Why would I be shook? I, the don't, guys let I us, don't think he's, he's embarrassing himself at all. I get it. Let I get in, your point of view. Seven, and I know mine in, is the He's let in seven goals. He's let in seven goals in two games. The Avalanche are winning. Would have been 20. He's going to be at whoop-de-doo. So McKinnon wouldn't have five Rantanen goals. Rantanen would have a goal. Yeah. Instead of being on pace for 75 goals in the playoffs, McKinnon would be on pace for 112. Cool. Great. You still couldn't stop the puck. And then Rantanen. as the game goes on, as I was saying earlier, as the game goes on, you're getting more and more frustrated and you're letting your team lose games because you're not stealing a game for them. That's what's happening. Yeah, you're a goalie. I, I think, you're a goalie of Bennington's caliber. You should be able to steal a game. Let's not take credit away from the Avalanche, right? I mean, a couple times oh, absolutely. he was so blinded team. that he's dropping into the butterfly, just hoping it hits him, and that's when Nathan McKinnon's sniping him top cheese. So, yeah. um, you know, it's not all on him. He needs he needs guys in front of him. He needs his own team to stay disciplined and not give the Avalanche power plays. So, all I'm saying is this: number one, this is the longest third star conversation we've ever had because a third star is usually like this irrelevant, like. Hey, let's just throw this person here because we couldn't think of a third person. But all I'm saying is Bennington's going to end up embarrassing himself in front of Vagoli, who's not going to look at him like Grubauer and be like, dude, come on. Like, seriously, just go back. He's going to end up doing that to somebody like Peter Budai. And I keep using Peter Budai as an example because I don't know what goalies nowadays are fighters. I know Fleury is, but that's about it. He's going to end up doing it in front of the wrong goalie at the wrong time. And getting the ever living shit kicked out of him. Remember that Brent Johnson fight way, way back? I forget who he fought. Rick DiPietro. And he just pummeled DiPietro to the ground. This was back in the Pittsburgh. Yeah, this was like 2010, 2009. Pittsburgh, New York Islanders. They were having all their bouts, and Trevor Gillies was involved in all of them. Brent Johnson beat 14 different kinds of shit out of Rick DiPietro. And Bennington's gonna end up stepping up to the wrong goalie. And that's going to happen. And we're all going to look at it and be like, you you, you did this to yourself. Maybe. You embarrassed yourself to the point where this is where it got to. Moral of the story is seven goals in two games. He's been great. Congratulations. You still let in seven goals in two games. They've needed to pull you all this time because you can't make the stop. You're not going to rile up the avalanche. You might rile up some kid in Denver that does a podcast. whoop de doo That's not going <laughs> to help Ryan O'Reilly not be a minus six. That's not going to help... 
uh, your depth guys from scoring. That's not going to help your defensemen, Tory Krug and Justin. Well, I can't use Justin Falk as an example. Poor guy's injured. I hope he feels better. But that's not going to help Tory Krug and Colton Pareko suddenly shut down your top line. It's going to piss off some kid that does a podcast. Who cares? He's fiery. I love the fire. I like Bennington. Star number two. He's fiery if fighter, fire was a lighter that you were trying to burn a building down with. <laughs> Whatever. Star number two, Gabriel Landeskog. Everything that we mentioned in this podcast, I mean, this podcast might as well be about him. We could have made the entire thing about him and talked about how great he's been and how much he's contributed, even though it's kind of going unnoticed. Not by us, not by Avs fans, but possibly across the, the league. Only second star. I'm so upset in you. I mean... Second. I mean, I know who first star is. I'm right. just joking. But yeah, no, absolutely. Gabe Landeskog has just been a rock star. Landeskog has heart. He is the heart of this team. He is what's making this team go right now. You don't get the first hat trick in 24 years and not yes. get a absolutely. first star. Playoff hat after trick, a two goal is. After a two-goal game in the first game. And like you said, he could easily had four, right? Yeah. And at the same, Donskoy had yeah. to touch it. Yeah, exactly. At the same time, Donskoy could have had three if he got a stick on another one, so who knows. But it, it resulted in wins, so obviously star number one goes to Nathan McKinnon. Um, I couldn't hear a word he was saying in his post-game interview <laughs> because of how much the crowd was pumping his tires and loving on him, so it's good to see. And it's What I was really thinking during that interview is how good he must feel after everything he's been through, after the years of you know getting drafted and supposed to be the next guy to carry this team to greatness and they're finally here and he's playing great he's getting hat tricks he just must be on top of the world right now and ready for more and he's got two game winning goals in two games he's killing it he's an absolute stud he's a machine he's a playoff performer like the guy is a regular season performer and then he steps it up a notch in the playoffs and that's what makes him go down as could possibly go down as one of the best in avalanche history is the fact that he knows how to do it in the playoffs. He is one of the, I think he's the fifth fastest player to 60 points in playoff history. And the funny thing is the four guys above him are Mario Lemieux, Wayne Gretzky. Well, not in that order, Gretzky, then Lemieux. And then the next three I roll in this franchise, it was Peter Stasny, Joe Sackick in 41 games got to 60 points. And then McKinnon did it in 42 games. He's just he's right up there with some of the best in the NHL. Right. And he just expects more, which is what I love. He's he's not really smiling about it yet, right? Still keeps that focus and just ready ready for the next game and ready to keep yep. producing. That's all he really wants. I like yeah. that you call him a machine, um, because his name is McKinnon and in Spanish, machine is machina. So oh. McKinnon. Yeah. Mac That's the he, same thing. He might even actually be a machine and we just cracked the code. Yeah. In Arabic, it's Makina, so it's the same exact word. There you we probably go. stole it from their language. <laughs> I mean, you know, there's some correlations there. We don't need to get into history. If you want, we could do a Western Europe uh, history podcast, but for now, this is Hockey Mountain High, your go-to avalanche podcast presented by DraftKings Sportsbook. So and that's our podcast. Things, Jordan Bennington. <laughs> that's our podcast for today. I hope I riled some people up. Please tweet me how much you hate my take on Jordan Bennington. I'm fine with it. Um other than that, I think I've gotten everything off my chest for the day that I wanted to get off and ready for game three and see how they handle the, the road playoff games here. Yeah, awesome. And I, I do as well. The only thing I want to throw out there is uh, keep on keeping up with all the playoff content. We're, we're doing the best we can. Those videos late at night are kind of tough. Um, I was half asleep. You could see them. it in my eyes. 
Yeah. <laughs> you guys are watching them. You guys are commenting. You're interacting with us. You're reading the stories. You're listening to the podcast. Keep it up. This is going to be a long and fun playoff ride. They've got two wins down. They need 14 more to go all the way. Let's see if they can do it. Absolutely. So uh, shout out Hope Cholo for calling us the best looking duo in sports after our uh, video from last night. I'm trying to think. And yes, honestly, sir. there aren't many better looking duos. So he might be right. We might. Yeah, I, I was I was trying to think long and hard and I couldn't think of anybody <laughs> like it's it's rough <laughs> just teasing Competition's just messing um, alright well yeah thanks for hanging out with us today guys we'll be back to break down some more podcast or some more abs hockey on Sunday after game 4 probably the sweep hopefully the sweep we'll see I may, may be speaking too early here but I don't see any reason to think otherwise so if you made it this far in the podcast bless your heart hockey's for everyone and we out you thanks.